Hello and welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast presented by the Accessible Yoga Association. I'm your host Anjali Rao. The Love of Yoga podcast connects to the expansiveness of the teachings of yoga through provocative conversations with yoga scholars, change makers and thought leaders. Our intention is to provide avenues of access for yoga practitioners who are seeking to embody these teachings for personal and social transformation. This is a preview of a conversation with the brilliant Tenmuri Soundararajan, the author of The Trauma of Caste, a Dalit feminist meditation on survivorship, healing, and abolition. So one more question, uh, Tenmuri, is how do you think caste has been operating in yoga spaces? The, in, in so many ways it has. So do you have any um, examples that you want to share? Sure. So I think there is this really very intense dynamic, particularly, I think, in uh, teachers that are not South Asian, about people being concerned uh, around appropriation and yoga. Mm -hmm. And so what this means is, is that they not only become hyper aware about appropriation and where they might be misstepping, they then lean into very conservative models of South Asian culture as the way to do things. Right. When in fact, they're actually lifting up very bigoted frameworks and also frameworks that make no sense um, in terms of their application here. And um, so they actually cause double harm as a result of wanting to not be appropriation, you know, be people who are appropriating. And that's why I always say that in order to decolonize yoga, you have to first de-Brahmanize it mm. because there's actually many aspects of caste that you come across. And, you know, one very simple thing is a lot of yoga studios I've been to, they may start you off with like a mantra, like, you know, uh, you know, whether it's the, you know, the removal of obstacles mantra or, you know, there's all different kinds of do. Right. And that was a place of deep conflict for me as a Dalit because of the way that Sanskrit was weaponized um, by the Brahmin class to and that in many early Hindu scriptures, we were not allowed to speak it. We weren't even allowed to listen to it. Otherwise, we'd have our tongues cut off and lead poured in our ears. So it was very troubling to be in a class and have a teacher say to me, you can't really get the benefits of this practice if you don't do the mantra. And, um, and you have to do it. And if I didn't, then I was going to be asked to leave the class. What? Uh, yeah, this is like in the early 90s. So it was like really kind of wild, uh, you know, dogmatism going on there and mm -hmm. it was very it was so hard for me because I was thinking about the fact that my ancestors couldn't say these mantras and yet um how could I use it for my own freedom when it was something that enslaved them oh gosh yeah so you know to me I feel like it 
I think there's a lot of experimentation that could be done about either leaving those mantras out, especially yeah. because yoga classes in the United States are secular. Um, and so either leaving them out or having a replacement or having something that's verbal, because mm-hmm. the whole point of why we're doing mantra is to integrate, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I remember people saying these like absurd things like Sanskrit is such a deeply holy language. No other language has the level of spiritual vibration that it has. And it's these specific letters in Sanskrit that free your body and integrate your chakras. And in actuality, you know, it just so happens that those, you know, syllables activate our vagus nerve, you know, and so we can achieve them without those syllables just by knowing that logic and that way that our, you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system works together. Right. Right. So all of that kind of weird esoteric, you know, woo woo Mm. around this people lean into because they think that they're surrendering to the lineage or the power Mm. of that. When in fact, these are things that have filters of the ego on them. And we Mm -hmm. have to still bring our critical thinking to it, you know, and that's so, and there's even things about, I've always been struck about how gendered and misogynist um, some of the divisions of the body and energy are Mm -hmm. as you know written in certain yoga texts are where you know the idea of our senses being shakti is feminine and the discipline is shiva or male Mm -hmm. and i remember this one teacher giving this example of being in varnasi and he saw this one baba you know essentially hitting himself with the whip to control his senses and he would say you whore shakti you whore shakti and then um, he would talk about the incredible discipline of mm. yoga and, you know, Shiva being yoga discipline to be able to bring the energy up into the Kundalini. And mm. you can actually do all of those things without having such punitive <laughs> gendered language, right? Abs- absolutely. And I think the gender bias and the Brahminical bias came in because of Brahminical patriarchy and the, you know, the coding of all these uh, issues after Manusmriti uh, came into, uh, came into vogue during the times. And then it was propagated through centuries. So 100%, there is absolutely no need for anyone to chant if there is a, if there is a resistance for whatever reason. And if you don't feel good about it, that's always, it should always be an option. Everything should always be an option. uh, I think in a yoga class, you know, you can come to a yoga class and take a nap. And if that's what you really want to do, that's what you really want to do. That's how it should be. Um, And I think, you know, the Shiva Shakti uh, dichotomy of or binary thinking of gender is itself uh, an example of the bias that exists. Uh, and who wrote these things? Who taught these things? There were men. There were cis men. There were cis Brahmin men uh, who taught these things centuries ago. And then everybody thinks that that is the only truth. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. And uh, and whoever said that in your LA studio is absolutely wrong. You know, uh, you sh- nobody should should have to say or do anything. Consent is the most important thing. It is. And, you know, what we're coming to yoga practice and what we're hoping to get from the mat is integration. Yeah. You know, we don't need to have the human filter that shapes it in the context of one gender being stronger than the other. Yeah. Or the senses being pure, impure, you know, using gendered language 
All of that are ways that we fail the ultimate endless possibility that comes from integration. You know, and I think I had to, again, I had to embody myself to recognize I had a right to these practices. And as a Dalit woman, think about how revolutionary it is to have a Dalit woman talk about somatic practice in our tradition when we are the ones who are experimented on. We are the ones that are raped. We are not the ones that create the possibility for divinity. That's exactly what I want us to be able to do because everything changes when we start to center consent and center the oppressed. 100%. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Please listen to the entire interview in the Love of Yoga podcast.